Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Graduates, this is truly a memorable day. A day you will look back on in the years ahead and remember with fondness as an experience of celebrating your success. It's a day and a weekend when you should celebrate your success. You came to Loma Linda some time ago, a year, two, four years ago, with a specific goal in mind. Today, you sit here having accomplished a significant step in your life, but also having accomplished that goal that you set. It's success. You should celebrate. You've been succeeding for a while. We've had, in three days, three different graduation-related celebrations here. Thursday night, it was elementary school graduation celebration. Last night, academy or high school graduation celebration. You've been through those two. So what's left today? You've achieved another milestone. Tomorrow you will receive the sheepskin. It will award to you the degree that you have earned, and you ought to celebrate that success. But I got to thinking about success and got to wondering, how do you know when you have succeeded? Is this it? Or is there something more to come? One author says, you will know you have succeeded when someone points back to this place and maybe to this day and says, I sat beside him in class. We were in the same class together. Or somebody points to this celebration and says, I sat beside her in the baccalaureate service at Loma Linda University Church. People say, no, you didn't sit beside Yes, I did. Right there. Then you will know you have succeeded. Someone else said, no, success is like three men. Three men, yesteryear, years ago, in a car together, carpooling on their way to the work at, work at the factory. And they got to talking about success. How do you know when you have succeeded? The first man said, here's how you know when you've succeeded. You know you've succeeded when the President of the United States calls you to the Oval Office to consult with you on important matters. That's how you know when you've succeeded. The others were thoughtful for a minute taking that in. And then the second man said, no, no, I think you're successful when the President of the United States calls you to the Oval Office to consult with you on important matters, and while you're there, the red telephone rings, and he doesn't answer because he's talking to you. That's success. They took that in, thought about it for a while. And finally, the third man said, no, no, I think success is when the President of the United States calls you to the Oval Office to consult with you on important matters, and while you're sitting there, the red telephone rings, he answers it, and then says, it's for you. <laughs> that is success. So maybe that's it. You'll be known, sought out for your wisdom, importance, then you will say, I have succeeded. Or maybe it will be because of the fame that you achieve. 
That's the way it was with Skipper and his friend. Skipper and his friend worked on a boat that summer fishing, and it went well, except the friend grew increasingly disenchanted with Skipper's habit of always saying, oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah, she and I, we go way back. He had had it. Every time a name came up, it didn't matter if it was an unknown name or a famous name. Skipper was always, oh, yeah, I, I know that person. So finally one day it came to a head. He confronted Skipper and he said, you know, I'm sick and tired of you acting like you know everybody. You don't know everybody. He says, well, yeah, I do. I know a lot of people. You don't know all these people we're talking about. All right, said Skipper, we'll name someone. So the friend thought, well, I'll, I'll pick someone from Hollywood. No way he'll know him. So he said, all right. Jennifer Aniston. Oh, Jen? Yeah, she and I go way back. No way you know Jennifer Aniston. Let's go to Hollywood. So off to Hollywood they went. They got to that big gate, rang the bell. The guard came out. Skipper said, tell Jen Skipper's here. Two minutes later, there was Jennifer Aniston. Skipper, come in. Bring your friend with you. The friend was like, whoa. Never expected that. Actually, he was kind of angry inside thinking, I don't know how he knows her. But everybody gets one shot. So when they left, Skipper said, well, there you go. You do not know all these people we talk. Name someone else. All right. The president, president of the United States. You don't know the president. Oh, yeah, the Donald. Yeah, I've known him for a long time. Wish somebody would take his phone away, but I know him. <laughs> said, all right, to Washington. So off to Washington, D.C. They went, got to the White House, the guard at the gate. Skipper simply said, tell the president Skipper's here. Two minutes later, ushered into the Oval Office. Skipper, come in, please, come in, bring your friend with you. Now the friend was like, whoa, this guy really does know all these people. But he thought, I can't let it go with this. This really irritates me. So when they got out, Skipper turned. I know a lot of people. All right, I know someone you don't know. All right, name. The Pope. There's no way you know the Pope. Oh, hermano Bergoglio. We go way back. I know him. No way you know the Pope. So off to Rome they went. Got to the Vatican. There, Skipper disappeared into the hallways of the Holy See. And his friend went outside with the tens of thousands of other pilgrims there in the Piazza di San Pietro, waiting for the Pope to make his appearance on the balcony. And he did. Two figures appeared on the balcony. The Pope and Skipper. <laughs> the Pope said his words. Skipper descended, went out to find his friends on the piazza, only to discover his friend was lying prostrate, surrounded by EMTs and worried people. He raced over and said, what happened? What's wrong? Are you okay? He looked up kind of bleary-eyed, and he said, wow, I, I, I think so. I, I was okay, he said, until you come out on the balcony with the Pope. <laughs> you come out, and, and I was even okay then. And then I heard some guy behind me say, hey, Who's that guy up there with Skipper? <laughs> and that was it. So maybe that's it. When you have achieved fame, you know all the right people. When you can say, I know her, I know him, we go, maybe that's success. You're celebrating success, and it's a good thing to celebrate. Enjoy it this weekend. But as much as we're focused on your success and how to achieve it and what it might be, I actually want to talk to you about something different. I want to talk to you about something that's probably far from your mind today. 
something that's pushed away into the back of your mind. In fact, it might even be the last thing on your mind. I want to talk to you about failure. Failure. Benjamin Franklin is reputed to have said, there are two guarantees in life, death and taxes. With all due respect to Mr. Franklin, I'd like to nudge a third one onto the list. Death, taxes, and failure. Because no matter how much you try to avoid it, no matter how single-mindedly and wholeheartedly you commit yourself to success, no matter how many steps and safeguards you put in place, the day will come, the time will arrive when you will fail. I don't know if it will be a public professional failure or a private personal failure. A failure in the discipline which you enter this weekend or a failure in your personal private family life. I don't know what it will be, but I can almost guarantee you that the time will come when you will experience failure. Failure will come pounding on your door and will force its entrance uninvited into your life. So here's my question for you today. What will you do when you fail? How will you respond when you fall? I want to take you to a passage of Scripture today found in the wisdom literature of Scripture, a place where I often turn at moments like this. The Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 24. There in that section of Proverbs, there is contained what are called the 30 sayings of the wise. 30 different sayings that the wise man uttered and that wise people live out. I want to point you to just one of them. It's the 27th, number 27. It's almost at the end of the list, but it's worth reading, worth heeding, worth remembering. Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 15, says this. Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. The first picture that saying of the wise brings to mind is of a wicked person, a resentful and arrogant, an envious person sitting, plotting how he, how she is going to trip up the wise person, the righteous person. How am I going to trip them up? And the wise writer writes to that person and says, don't do it. If you're contemplating trying to get the kind of person who lives in the shadow of God's grace and will, if you're trying to get them to trip up, don't even try it. That's the first image it brings to mind. Second image is the second verse, and it tells us why the wise man is saying don't do it. I want to reread it. Why should I not try to do that? This is how the wise man answers. Verse 16, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. I like the way Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, renders that. He puts it this way. No matter how many times you trip them up, 
God-loyal people don't stay down long. Soon they're up on their feet, while the wicked end up flat on their faces. That's the second image it brings to mind. The image of a person who, no matter how many times he falls, no matter how many times she goes down, always gets up one more time than they fell. The verb in the original language doesn't connote a moral fall, though it doesn't necessarily exclude that. It speaks of the kinds of falls that happen to all of us in our lives, the temptations, the trials, the traumas, the tragedies that come our way and cause us to fall flat on our faces. And what is the wise man saying? He's saying the person who is in the grip of God's grace, the person who lives his or her life under the shadow of God's will, when they go down, they get up. You can't keep them down. How do we respond to failure? The wise man says we respond to failure, we respond to falling by in the grace of God, in the strength of God, getting up again. That's not the way we're accustomed to thinking about failure in many of our lives. We tend to think about failure as a sentence. Almost like a judge standing there looking at our lives, looking at our failures and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to sentence you to. This will be your punishment. It's a sentence we're going to have to live out. We think of failure in that way. We think of failure as a condition. Sometimes we give evidence of us thinking of failure in that way by how we state the fact that we have fallen. Rather than saying, I failed, I fell, we say, I'm a failure, a condition. And sometimes we think it's permanent. This defines everything about me. This will stay with me for the rest of my life. I'll never escape this. It's permanent. It's kind of like Vinko Bogatej. Vinko Bogatej was a skier. Not any kind of skier, but a ski flyer, some call it. You've seen those events at the ski championships or at the Olympics where they stand high up on a ski run. They crouch down in position, ski poles behind them. They're perched there at the brink, and then suddenly they push off from the brink, and they begin to streak down that ski run at full speed until they hit that upward lip that shoots them into the air. And leaning forward, almost parallel with their skis, they soar into the air. Flying 120, 140, 160 feet, and finally land successfully to great celebration. Well, Vinko Bogotez was at the 1970 World Ski Championships. He was entered in that event. He did one run, great jump, everything went well. It was it on his second run that it occurred. He was up top, perched. Pushed off the edge, down he went, full speed, about at that valley where he's going to shoot up and into the air when something happened. Lost his balance, caught an edge, not sure what happened. But suddenly, Vinko Bogatej was flipping, 
head over heels, flopping, somersaulting, down the rest of the track, off the track, into the spectators, and finally, ultimately, ending up in the hospital. It was a spectacular failure, spectacular crash. Everybody got to see it. He did go on to heal, to go back to his life in Yugoslavia, and no doubt to try to put that spectacular crash behind him. But some years later, Douglas Wilson, a producer for ABC television here in the United States, specifically for ABC's Wide World of Sports, on an anniversary of that event and that crash, went to see Vinko Bogatej in Yugoslavia, interviewed him, talked with him about the event, talked to him about that crash. And it was then that Wilson told him, do you know that we play that footage in the intro Real to ABC's wide world of sports. We call it the agony and the ecstasy, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, and yours is played as part of the agony of defeat. Every time ABC's wide world of sports is on, there you are catapulting, somersaulting 130 times a year. You're on TV in the United States of America so everybody can see your failure. Can you imagine perpetuated your worst professional moment? No wonder we think of failure as a sentence, as a condition, as permanent. But that's not the way the wise man thought of it. The wise man said it's not permanent. Because God's people, those who are held in the grip of his grace, those who are filled with his strength, when they go down, they get up. They're characterized by one reality. They get up one more time than they fell. That's God's people and failure. It actually kind of reminds me of Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, inventor of the light bulb, said, I never failed. I invented the light bulb. It was just a 2,000-step process. I got up each time. Or I think of the words by the arguably best basketball player of all time. Some of you will disagree. Michael Jordan, who said this, thank you, who said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. This is a great weekend. You're celebrating success, and you should be. But I do have a question. What will you do when failure inevitably comes? I got to wondering about how Jesus responded to failure the people in his life whom he encountered who had failed. And I thought of that woman, that woman who was dragged into his presence, caught red-handed with her hand in the moral cookie jar, thrown at his feet, failed, the stabbing fingers, the words of accusation. How did Jesus respond? He knelt in the dirt and traced in the dust words that set her free and gave her a new life.
That's how you handle failure. The very end of his life, he hung crucified between thieves. One of those thieves called out epithets and curses at him. The other one, remember me, Jesus. He had just a few more hours left, a few more hours to think back over a lifetime littered with failure. How did Jesus respond? No doubt twisting, contorting himself on his cross and managing to hoarsely whisper the words, I give you my word. You will be with me in my kingdom. That's how he handled failure. Or Peter, his disciple, who seemed absolutely committed to denying and cursing himself into the hall of shame where broken disciples, failed disciples, will be featured on full display. But some days later, at the edge of the lake, Jesus gently restores him. Restores him to leadership. Says, Peter, you will care for my lambs, for my sheep in this church of broken disciples that I came to create. That's how Jesus handled failure. You're here to celebrate success, and well, you should be. But how will you respond when failure comes? Will it be a sentence? A condition permanent? There's an old story. Comes out of the hills and dales of ancient Scotland many, many decades ago. A land rich with flocks of sheep. It was in one of those little hamlets that a man was caught stealing sheep. Because of the way the economy worked, that was a cardinal crime, one which could not go unpunished, one which required a swift and a severe response. The elders of the village counseled together, how are we going to respond? Because we not only have to think of him, we have to think of any others who might do the same in the future. And they landed on a heinous punishment. They decided they would brand him. And so they branded him on the forehead. Two letters. S-T. Sheep. Thief. Now he would get to wear the evidence of his failure, the shame of his sin in front of everybody whom he encountered. Now the questions would come. Now the shame would be deep, preventing him or anyone else from ever doing so again. The shame was deep, deep so that he allowed his hair to grow long, always down to at least his eyebrows, those bangs trying to hide his identity. But he didn't last long there. He soon fled, fled to another village far away where he could try to change and make a new life. He managed to hide mostly, but the rain would fall. The wind would blow, and people would see. What, what is that, S-T? His answers were always vague, changed the subject. And then one day, a little girl, 
little girl from the village, went home to her father and said to him, Daddy, you know that man that lives down the road? The one with the bangs? Yeah, sweetheart, I know. Daddy, I, the, the wind blew and, and I saw it move his hair. He has an ST on his head, Daddy. What does that mean? The dad thought for a moment. Thought back about this gentleman. Thought about the life he had lived over the years here in this village. A life where he tried to help those who needed help. To be of support to the aged. To care for those who were downtrodden. To do his best to live an upright life of integrity. He thought about that. And then he looked down at his little girl and he said, Sweetheart, we're not quite sure what it means. He's never said. But most of us think it stands for saint. Failure will come. The question is, how will you handle it? Will you be the kind of person who is so much in the grip of God's grace, so filled with his power, that it will not keep you down? Will you be the kind of person who discovers that by the strength of God, failure is a word, not a sentence. It's an event, not a condition. It's temporary, not permanent. That's what the wise man says. And if you learn that, then when you fall, of you it will be said. See that saint? They got up. <laughs>